God's grace, his mercy, and his peace are yours through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I've been hearing it on the radio every once in a while. It's an advertisement for or on behalf of those people with depression. It says, it, it takes a, the viewpoint of a family member or a friend of someone with depression. It, it says, well, I call them up on a regular basis just to see how they're doing. And if they don't want to go out for food, I, I come over and I, I give them some food and I eat a meal with them there. And the times that they really don't want to get out of the house, I, I encourage them to come fishing with me and go on a trip. And the premise of this advertisement is to be hands-on when it comes to depression. Because it's so often easy to overlook those people who are maybe close to you, who are struggling with things, and just let them deal with it on their own. But this is telling us, get in there and help them. Just give them a call because maybe that's the reason why they are feeling so down. They feel like no one cares for them. And yet your call will show you care for them. Maybe they're, they're stuck in this mindset that, that they can't go out and have fun, and so you make sure that you come over and show them they can have fun with you as you're there and get them out of the house too. Get them to a point where they can go and experience something besides what might become their own prison of depression. Take the hands-on approach. Well, Isaiah seems to make an advertisement to God. And it's actually more of a prayer than an advertisement. But he sees a problem that's happening among his people, and he turns to God, and he tells God exactly what he feels God should be doing. And it sounds like he's really accusing God of not getting involved. It sounds as if he goes to God and criticizes God, especially if you take our verses in Isaiah and take one verse before, verse 15 of chapter 63, when he says, Look down from heaven and see from your lofty throne and holy and glorious, where are your zeal and might? Your tenderness and compassion are withheld from us. He goes on, but you are our father. Though Abraham does not know us or Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our father. Redeemer from of old is your name. There's a problem in Israel at Isaiah's time. They're struggling with something. And it, it, it's a cycle that keeps on going and, on and going. They can't stop it. And Isaiah's looking around and he's saying, there needs to be a hands-on approach to this. And so he turns to God and he says, where are you, God? In order for all this to, to go away, all our sinfulness, all our rebellion, all our disbelief, Lord, you need to come down from your throne. You need to get involved. And he even goes into verse 17. Why, O Lord, do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so we do not revere you? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes that are your inheritance. Saying, come on, God, return. For our sake. Because if you look at who we are now as Israel, even Abraham and Israel, Jacob, if they looked down at us right now, they wouldn't recognize us. Because the same teachings, the same faith, the same gospel that you've given to them is a gospel that we have lost, that we've despised, that we turned our backs on. We are completely different 
from who Abraham and Israel were. And we're caught in this cycle. We're caught in our own prison of sin and our own rejection of your word. And as we reject your word all the more, you are able, Lord, to even harden our hearts. Don't do that, he prays. He says, don't harden our hearts because we are your inheritance. Take on the hands-on approach. And here is how Isaiah hopes God would act. It says in verse six, chapter 64, starting at verse 1, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and mountains trembled before you. Isaiah is remembering how God acts or acted. Remember how, how God's powerful hands in the beginning formed from dust a creature named Adam and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. God's mighty hands created us. He remembers way back in Egypt when all of his people were caught in captivity and slavery. He remembers how God came to his people and he freed them captivity, even saying to the Egyptians, you will know that I am the Lord because I will free Israel from you, my very own hands. Isaiah remembers a time that Israel went into the promised land. And they stood before a big wall, a wall of Jericho, and they couldn't get in. And yet God turned to, Jericho, to, to Joshua, the leader, and he said, I will give you this city. I'll give it into your hands. And that's what God did. And you begin to see how powerful God's hands are, how he caused the walls of Jericho to tumble down, how he took his people throughout history and preserved them and helped them and cared for them. And we see how wonderfully powerful God is. But is that good? There's a story, old western story, of a bandit, a train bandit, kind of your Robin Hood type. He would go and stop trains and steal from everyone on the train, but he only wanted to steal from the rich. So what he did, cleverly, he looked at everyone's hands. At those times, if you were rich, your hands were pampered. You didn't have any calluses or scars. If you were working class and poor, you could see the scars and your fingernails worn down. He looked at their hands and he saw who was rich and poor, and he stole from the poor. So what would happen if God looked at our hands? What would he see? I think he would see us red-handed. It's not as if we don't do anything at all. There's that phrase, idle hands are the devil work. But our hands are very active. Maybe we're not caught up in the, all these headlines and uh, assaulting people physically, harassing them sexually, but certainly our hands lead us to certain websites and movies and other things that cause us to lust. 
Maybe we're not brawling against each other or fighting, but how often don't we hold on to grudges and anger towards people? Maybe, maybe we think that we serve others, but how often isn't that service towards ourself? Greedy for ourselves and all our actions, and as we look at our hands, we see our hands aren't clean and holy. We see that they're sinful, and God sees us and catches us red-handed. Maybe Isaiah should go back on his request. To, to ask God to come down and destroy all his enemies because these are those who are not enemies of God. Verse 5, you come to help those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you are angry. How then can we be saved? And here Isaiah picks out just how sinful we have become. All of us has become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and made us waste away because of our sins. Isaiah and his people Isaiah seeing his people, rather than seeing them bow down to the Lord in prayer and cling to his word and worship, he saw them raising a fist against God in anger. Rather than pleading to God for help in their lives and thanking him and everything that he has given for them, he sees how greedy and selfish they have become. He sees how their hands have led them away from their Father, maybe Isaiah should go back on his word and say, don't come, Lord, because certainly he should destroy us. Certainly our sins do make us enemies of him. In his perfect justice, we should be cast away from him. And yet today we see a picture of a gracious father, our father's hands. It's not a weak, feeble hands that he has. It's not that he can't punish our sins, but he comes with hands of mercy for you and me because he's seen how we have sinned. He's seen how we have disobeyed and turned our own fists against him and used our hands for our own greed, our selfish desires. And with his mercy, he hands us something so wonderful and precious his son, Jesus, who came in a manger and whose little hands grew till the time that those hands were pierced on the cross for us. Having been pierced on the cross for us, he made us clean and holy. We are in God's hands. That's why he says in that final verse, we are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. By Christ's sacrifice, our Lord has brought us mercy and has molded us to be holy and innocent before him. 
He's made us righteous just by what Christ has done. And though he doesn't come down for us, no mountains don't necessarily quake, we see the vast and broad impact that Jesus' death has had. That when Christ comes and mountains do shake, we stand before God as innocent, holy, and righteous, hands washed clean by the blood of our Savior. He even says, I have made them righteous. My wrath is not on them, they are in my hands. God took a hands-on approach for you and for me. And we're so glad he did. Because his merciful hands have pulled us out of death and brought us to eternal life. And that's where we would love to be. As we prepare for Christ's coming, isn't that the place to be? That he molds us and teaches us how to be generous as Christians. He reminds us again of his grace and his mercy for us. That, that's what it means that he's shaping us just like clay. So as we together celebrate the Advent season, may we do it in the hands of our Father. Because isn't that the best place to be? Amen. Please stand. We continue by confessing our faith with the words of the Nicene Creed, printed on the bottom of page five in your bulletin. We confess. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, suffered death, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead the life of the world to come. Amen.